Well, welcome, friends. For those of you watching online, those of you in the room here, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. And if this is your first time here, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby with some of our uh, pastors and leaders and would love to meet you if we've never uh, met before or if we haven't seen each other in a long time. Uh, I'd love to connect with you. If you're new to our church, you could not have come on a better day because uh, today is Vision Sunday. Every fall, we take a Sunday to remind ourselves, uh, who are we trying to be as a community? What has God called us to be? What are the particular values, the particular areas of emphasis that make New Life Fellowship what New Life Fellowship is? And as we embark on our 35th year of being a church family, we need to be reminded. And so if you're here for the first time or if you're new to our congregation, you could not have come on a better Sunday. If you've been coming for a long time, you, can't, you could not have come on a better Sunday because you are going to be reminded why you came to New Life perhaps in the first place and perhaps what God wants to continue to do in you as you are part of this community. Uh, next week, we're gonna return to our series on the book of Revelation and we're gonna do six weeks in a row uh, in that series, uh, finishing that up. But today, it's an important pause as we think about our identity and our mission as a community. And along those lines, we're gonna look at the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, because the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding, rebuilding. And we are in a season of, as a congregation, a season of rebuilding. And not only rebuilding in terms of our church life, there are plenty of areas in our individual lives, in our community life, uh, the, the neighborhood around us that needs some rebuilding. And so we want to pay attention to what the Lord has for us this day as we think about rebuilding our own life as well as uh, our community, our church family. Along those lines, we'll, we have uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. You can follow on the screen or in your Bible. Uh, I want to read uh, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 1, and then we'll look at the story together. But hear the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekilah, in the month of Kislev, that is our December, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us now through the power of your spirit. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see and a heart to receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. 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 One of my favorite Christ followers is a man by the name of Francis, Francis of Assisi. Before Francis became Saint Francis, he had a crisis of identity. A question he asked himself was, what should I do with my life? 
And so one day, with that question on his heart, he entered into a little church that was in great need of physical repair. He entered the church, and he knelt in front of the wooden cross, and he stared at the cross and asked two questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? Show me what you want me to do with my life. Have you ever asked that question Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And as he offered that prayer, the Lord answered very clearly. And this is what Francis heard. Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you see, is falling apart. Go rebuild my church, which as you see, is falling apart. That's what he heard. And so Francis went to Home Depot. Uh, or whatever the Home Depot was at that time, to get some tools, to get some supplies, because he understood those words to mean to rebuild the church structure, to rebuild this area that has fallen into great disrepair. And so Francis did the work of rebuilding the actual structures, rebuilding small little churches, and then it dawned on him one day that when Jesus said to rebuild my church, he was not talking about pews and doors. He was talking about people. He was talking about the community. He was talking about the particular mission of the church, that the church at that time was in great disrepair. The people of God at the time were in great disrepair, and Francis was called to bring about rebuilding and repair for a people for a community, for a mission that had fallen in great disrepair. And we are in a moment in the life of our church. We are in a moment in the life of our world where those words that God spoke to Francis, I believe, are words that God speaks to you and me. God looks at us and says, I want you to rebuild the disrepair that has been the body of Christ. And if you've been paying attention, the last couple of years have come to the surface lots of damage, lots of disrepair. We've seen uh, moral failures from famous pastors. We've learned of tragic abuse through institutions connected to the church. We've seen the political idolatry where the church has gotten into bed with political figures, with political parties, with particular ideologies that go counter to the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And consequently, because of these things, there have been lots of people who have been done with the church, lots of people who have left the church. A recent statistic showed that three out of ten people now identify as religious nuns. Religious nuns. That's not N-U-N-S. That's N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. Meaning, I have no religious affiliation with anything. And when you look at what's happening often in the church and through the church in our nation... It makes sense why people don't want to affiliate and associate with the church. And so before us, there's great disrepair. Before us, there are particular areas that need to be restored, revitalized, resurrected, and renewed. And not just for the church, for our lives as well. 
The last couple of years has brought about lots of damage in our own lives. Damage to our spiritual lives. Damage to the relationships that were once a bedrock of a, a strong foundation. Uh, damage to our marriages. Damage to our hope, to our faith. Damage to the world around us. And the question that I've been wrestling with the last couple of weeks is, how can be, we be a church that pleases God? How can we be a church and what does it mean for us to be a church that works for healing and wholeness and restoration? How can we be a church that rebuilds and restores? And the question we need to ask ourselves are, what are the areas in my life that need to be restored? What are the areas in my life that need to be rebuilt? And with these questions, we turn to the book of Nehemiah, who has some lessons for us as it relates to rebuilding things that were lost, rebuilding things that have been significantly damaged. When we pick up in the book of Nehemiah, the nation of Israel had been conquered by Babylon. And after a number of years, they have now returned to their homeland, but their homeland is in great disrepair. Their homeland is still on fire as it was. But Nehemiah, because he was exiled for a long time, had to stay in the Babylonian area to, to make a new life of his own. He was exiled to Babylon, had to figure out where is he going to live? What is he going to do for a living? And so one day while he's in exile, uh, Nehemiah updates his LinkedIn profile and, and goes on jobs.com to find a place of meaningful work. And he discovers that there is one job that's available of wine. The goal of the wine tasting wasn't about savoring taste, but about saving the king. Why? Well, because Nehemiah had the task of drinking the wine and eating the food before the king tasted it and ate it. Why? Well, because there were assassinations and plots against the king. And so the king needed someone to test the food and drink the wine. And if that person dropped dead, the king knew, I ain't touching it. <laughs> that was Nehemiah's job as a cupbearer. And, and so that, that's a very difficult, anxiety-producing job. And, and by the way, you don't have to ask a cupbearer how their day is going. Because if they're alive, it's going pretty well. And so here Nehemiah is. He's the cupbearer before the king. He has a particular responsibility to protect the king's life. And one day he finds himself depressed. One day he finds himself distressed. One day he finds himself so disappointed because of the news that he heard about his homeland. And he wants to do something about it. And what we find in the book of Nehemiah, particularly the first four chapters, is really a framework for rebuilding. A framework for restoring. That whether we're talking about a church, whether we're talking about a nation, whether we're talking about a marriage, whether we're talking about a spiritual life, what we find in the book of Nehemiah are five words, five movements that show up that I believe God wants us to pay attention to as we think about rebuilding in light of the last couple of years. 
The first word that I want to pay attention to is the word lament. It's the word lament. Because that's the first thing that Nehemiah does after hearing news that his city, his beloved homeland, has fallen into great disrepair and has not been renewed. Look what happens in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, when I heard these things that the walls have been broken and then the gates have been burned with fire, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah learns that his hometown is in shambles. The playground that he used to play at is in shambles. The coffee shop that he used to have wonderful conversations with, with his friends, is in shambles. The places of worship where he went to was in absolute shambles. And his response, an appropriate one, is one of lament. Lament. He allows himself to feel the grief and lifts it up to God for the sake of encountering God in a fresh way to gain a new kind of social imagination to respond to what he's seeing. Lament. And lamenting is one of the words that people of God must be known for. And yet, our lives often are not marked by lament for a number of reasons. We live in a society that is so easily distractible that we don't allow ourselves to actually see what's happening in the world. We don't allow ourselves to feel what God wants us to feel for the sake of social transformation and personal transformation. We are so distracted going from one thing to the next that we don't offer our hearts, our grief, our anger, our sadness to God in a way that's actually redemptive and restorative. And yet the way to rebuilding something is to actually take the time to sit with it, to sit with the grief, to sit with what is lost, but not to sit with it in a way that that is the end, to sit with it in a way where we open ourselves up to God in a fresh way. Some of you look at your own life and you think, this is the loss that I've experienced. This is the challenge that I've faced. And it's very easy to live the way of numbing ourselves, refusing to actually feel what God wants us to feel for the sake of transformation. This is where addictions come in. This is where our lives get so distracted and overworked because we're trying to soothe ourselves. But Nehemiah laments, and any transformation is going to begin with lament. The word lament leads into a second word that really identifies Nehemiah's life, and it's the word burden. Burden. Nehemiah laments, and that lament leads to a burden. The king says, why are you so sad? What is it that you want? And he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so I can rebuild it. I love that Nehemiah starts with lament, but he doesn't end there. He allows the lament to shape a burden. And burdens are often... The situations that God uses to direct our lives. This is why as a pastor, I, I typically have a conversation with our congregants, some of our congregants that sound something like this. 
Someone inevitably throughout the course of the year says, Pastor Rich, have you seen what's happening with this area of our church? And I go, yeah. And they go, someone needs to do something about it. (laughs) And whenever they say someone needs to do something about it, it is at that moment where I perform a Jedi mind trick, a pastoral Jedi mind trick, in which I say, what if that person is you? Because you are so burdened about it. Could it be that God has put this on your heart? Because God is calling you to do something about it. And he's like, no, that's not what God is saying at all, Pastor. (laughs) When God puts a burden, grief, anger, frustration it's those moments where God is perhaps prompting you trying to guide you in a particular way Nehemiah is so burdened that he says I must do something about it I cannot stand by idly anymore it reminds me growing up I used to watch Popeye anyone watch Popeye for those uh, young folk, uh, YouTube it, uh, phenomenal. And, and, and Popeye had two wonderful sayings, I, 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 not I am, I am's what I am's, and, and, and that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more, right? And then at that point, he starts busting people up, and wonderful. Uh, but, but, but I love that. Have you ever gone to a point where you said, this is all I can stand? And I can't stand no more. Nehemiah has gotten to the point where he says, I'm going to do something about it. Now, we are often very tempted to lament something and never take the next step to actually do something about it. There's a guy named Christian Smith. He, He said that American Christians for the last 100 years have found it easy to condemn culture to critique culture, to copy culture, or to consume culture, as opposed to us creating a new kind of culture where the things that God wants addressed are actually addressed. It's easy to condemn the world. It's easy to critique the world. It's easy to copy and to consume what the world offers. But might it be that God is calling us to create something that doesn't exist at the moment. Create something that is at the very center of God's heart. And Nehemiah responds with a burden. And he recognizes at that moment that this burden cannot just be me. This burden requires, thirdly, a community. A community. That's the third word that I want us to focus on. That anything that's worth doing requires a community that's going to come together. And as we think about the project of rebuilding, rebuilding faith for those who it's been lost, rebuilding credibility, rebuilding integrity, rebuilding an appropriate way of being the church for the sake of the world, it requires community. I love in Nehemiah chapter 3, there is a a, a number of verses where if, if you're not careful, you'll read it and fall asleep very quickly. Because all it is, 
are names of people. Name after name after name. Don't you love that part of the Bible? Name after name after name after name. But in this case here, it shows what these names have actually done. Eliashab, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassana. The Deshana gate was repaired by Joida, the son of Passia, and Meshulam, son of Besodia. The, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kohose. Over and over, name after name after name after name. And I read it over and over and over again this week. And I found spiritual enrichment by reading these names. Why? Because it reminded me that any kind of rebuilding project requires the entire people of God to do it together. And I believe that if God has sent you to this church, if God has brought you to this church, it's not simply to be a spectator. If God brought you to this church, it's not simply to be a consumer of religious goodies. If God brought you to this church, it's because the Holy Spirit has deposited gifts of the Spirit inside of you. Experiences and a history, a, a way that God wants you to live that builds up the body of Christ, that strengthens one another, that reaches the lost. And if we're going to accomplish anything, especially in the past two and a half years, we must do it together amen this is the job for the people of God and as you look around our church there are areas in our church that are in disrepair there are areas in our church that need some fixing up that need some restoration the past couple of years have been very difficult for young people in our church and outside of our church what would it look like for us to continue to build a ministry for our preschoolers and elementary and middle school and high school students? The last couple of years, we've seen an epidemic of loneliness that must be addressed. What would it look like for you to open your homes in a way to create spaces for hospitality and for connection and for community life? When you look at the things that are in disrepair, the homelessness you see in our neighborhood, the people who have been overlooked and under-resourced in our community, God is calling us as the people of God to work together to rebuild some things that has fallen in disrepair, but we need to do it together. Together. Community. And so Nehemiah calls people together but then the fourth thing comes to mind, and I want to let you know that whenever you try to rebuild something, whether it's a spiritual life, whether it's relationships, whether it's a community, the church, you're going to find, fourthly, resistance. Resistance. Nehemiah starts building, and then there's some folks around him that have uh, some words to say because they don't like the project that he is undertaking. And look what it says uh, in this verse here. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Do they will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? 
Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then his homeboy, Tobiah, said, the Ammonite, who was at his side, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, which is like a big disc back in the day. It's just like, oh, can you believe? You know, that's just like really, like they, they're going in here. That's a low blow. That's a low blow. And so Nehemiah experiences resistance. And I want to tell you something, just to normalize your experience, anytime you try to rebuild something, your faith, your hope, anytime you want to start practicing new disciplines, anytime you want to go in a particular direction, you're going to find some resistance. Don't be surprised by the resistance that you experience whenever you're trying to rebuild something. Every time I try to adjust my diet, I feel resistance. Come on, somebody, say amen. <laughs> I'm going to change. I'm changing everything. No more sugar. Uh, I'm not doing anything. No more sugar, which, which, by the way, I have a hard time with this because, uh, because uh, they say sugar is the enemy, but Jesus said you should love your enemies. And so I just, I just, <laughs> I have a problem here. Pray for me. And so, and so <clears throat> anytime you try to do something that's meaningful, that has eternal ramifications, you're going to face resistance. But I love Nehemiah because resistance doesn't overpower him, the resistance. He has now, fifth word, resilience. And this is what God is inviting us as the people of God to have, resilience. People who persevere. People who continue when it doesn't seem like this is worth doing. Resilience. Resilience. Verse 6, chapter 4. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. Now, all of this in Nehemiah has so much to do with who we're trying to be as a church. And what we're trying to be as a church. And the question that I'm asking and reflecting on is, what are the walls? What's the foundation that's ultimately going to help us rebuild to be the kind of church, to have the kind of families, to be the kind of individual who is marked by restoration and rebuilding? And to that end, for the next eight minutes or so, I just want to highlight the particular areas of focus that'll lead us to rebuilding, that'll lead you to rebuilding. We call them our five M's, our five particular values that make New Life Fellowship what New Life Fellowship is. It's the particular set of commitments, a particular set of practices, a particular set of values that have made us who we are for a number of years. And I want to share these with you in hopes that these values, these commitments will become your values. That you would say, this is not just the values of my church, these are my values. And this is how restoration is going to take place. And there are five very simple statements that I believe serve as the foundation of any rebuilding project. Five statements, and I want to give it to you in summary form. What kind of church do we want to be that works for restoration and rebuilding? The first word, really, is that we're called to be a monastic community. We're a monastic church. And what does that mean? Here's the translation. It's a recognition that you were made for communion with God. You were made for communion with God. There is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. 
and a God who invites you into relational communion with this God, which is to say that we have the ongoing task of resisting transactionalism with the spiritual life. What is transactionalism? Very simply this. My relationship with God is based on me doing certain things and God responding to what I want God to do. And so prayer is often so transactional. I say particular words with a particular level of intensity, tears always help, and, 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 and using all kinds of fancy language, I put in the deposit, and now God does what I want God to do. But that's seeing God as a cosmic vending machine. I put it in, and something comes out. That is such a low bar of spirituality, because you were made for communion. There is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. A God who's closer to you than you are to yourself. It is in God we live and move and have our being. And we were made for communion with this God. And so our congregation is built around this monastic value. And this is what it means. It means that we want to hold on to these commitments. Go to that next slide for me. That we orient our lives around prayer by seeking communion with God in silence. That we seek to live under the authority of Holy Scripture, listening to God's word to us in our communal and personal lives. What does monastic mean? It means that we understand rootedness, that we are called to have an intentional commitment to connect with and serve a local community, and that is indispensable for a healthy spirituality. That we seek to honor Sabbath as a gift from God and as a call to create conditions where everyone can find rest. This is the kind of life that's going to build a strong foundation. One that's rooted in this monastic value where we have communion with God. But our church is not just marked by a monastic value. Our church is often marked by a multiracial value. And if I could basically explain it this way, it's this. Your love for neighbor especially the neighbor who is very different from you, is proof of your love for God. How do you know you love God? Well, the typical answers are because I pray, because I go to church. How do you know you love God? Because I read the Bible. How do you know you love God? Because I get put money into the offering. All those things are wonderful, but the primary proof that you love God is that you have love for people, especially those who are different from you. I feel the Holy Spirit now. If that is the measure of our love, then the question that we need to ask ourselves are, do I actually love God? And at New Life Fellowship Church, the invitation for us is to live in such a way that we love our neighbor especially the neighbor who looks different than I do and votes different than I do and is just absolutely very different from That is the task, which is to say this. Our task as a church, the goal of our church, with 75 nations represented in our community, the goal of our church is not diversity. That is, that's way too low a bar. The goal of our church is love. Love. Why? Because there are plenty of places that are diverse, 
and have nothing to do with God. This morning, I was on the E train, very diverse. <laughs> we are called to be more than just a sanctified subway car. The Mets game, well, God's there, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> wrong illustration there. Uh, the mall, lots of diversity there. We are called to be more than just diverse. We are called to be a people who know how to love. What does this mean? It means we bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. It means that through the gospel, we push back against racism in all of its individual, interpersonal, and institutional forms. It means that we celebrate the gifts and the riches of our vast cultural diversity. It means that we embrace the call to be lifelong learners of people from different backgrounds. I've been here now, I'm starting my 15th year at New Life. 15 years, and I am still, I'm still here, amen, I, I am, I am still learning so much about the people in our community, the beauty, the idiosyncrasies, the things that make us who we are, I am a lifelong learner, it means that we recognize the equal calling of women and men in sharing the task of leadership, pastoring, and preaching, we want to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. But thirdly, to be in this community requires us to live our lives based on another important foundation, this marriage to Christ foundation, which is basically to say that your sexuality is to be connected, not separated from your spirituality. And in the coming year, we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture, discerning, in theology, trying to wrestle with one another. What does it mean to incorporate our body with our spirituality? How do we discern our sexuality and our spirituality? Which is, which is why I say at New Life, we should have a sign in the front of our building that says, enter at your own risk, because we're going to invite you to go places that you typically might not want to go. But... This is an important word for us to be the kind of community God wants us to be. And so what does this mean for us, this, this value? It means that we connect our spirituality to our sexuality. It means in this community that we equip singles to flourish out of their relationship to Christ. We want to have a big theology for singles at New Life. It's often the case, some of us have been in churches where the, the only theology that single people hear is this. Hold on. God's got somebody for you. <laughs> Who's heard that before? It's like, oh, hold on. God's got somebody for there is, There's got to be more than that. And we want to help singles navigate this reality that because you are single doesn't mean that you cannot be whole. That you don't, that you don't have to marry someone to be made whole. Come on, somebody. That, that, that we can live out of union with God and have wonderful community and friendship, that we want to build a theology for our singles. And at the same time, we want to equip married couples to flourish out of their relationship with Christ. The sad reality of our day is that marriages in the church is not very different from marriages in the world. How can we create a community where our marriages flourish, where our lives are marked by intimacy and communion with one another? This is 
what we've been trying to do at New Life for decades and will continue to do. It means that we want to model the new family of Jesus by creating community between marrieds and singles, which is to say that married people need single people. And that single people need married people. That we all need one another. Amen. To be the people God has called us to be and that we honor the sacredness of the human body in all of those iterations and manifestations. That's our third value, our fourth value, and then I want to share the fifth and show you a video, is that our church is built on a foundation of this missional presence value, which is to say this, you have a mission to bring healing to the world in the name of Jesus. You have a mission to bring healing to the world in the name of Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent because he was sent. The Father sent him into the world. And Jesus lived with a sense of sentness that wherever I go, the Father has sent me there. And I believe that's, what, that's the kind of imagination that God wants us to have. That wherever I go, God has sent me there. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Rosie and I, we, we, we moved into a new home, into a new neighborhood. And for the first time, truly, uh, in, in my life, I, I really understand what it is to have a parking spot. Amen. To have a parking spot. And so, do you know how glorious this is? Uh, I mean, and many of you have heard me preach for 15 years, for, for many years, and all the pain and stories and illustrations of circling and circling and, and my daughter's interceding for us and, 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 all, and, and all the rest. And, and, and now, this is no more illustrations like that. I'm sorry. We're done. That's a, we're in a new day. I, I, glory, glory, glory. And so one day, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just so happy, so happy that... I have a parking spot. I have a parking spot. And, and I'm, I'm talking about it every single day. And Rosie knows how obsessive I can be. I can talk about parking for three weeks and just, and just it doesn't get tired. And, and so I really sense the Lord speaking deep down in my soul as I'm just so happy about the parking. And it's almost like the Lord saying, I'm happy for you. I really am. <laughs> but the reason you're in this neighborhood is not because... I want to give you a parking spot. The reason you're in this neighborhood is because I've sent you here. Because there are people who need to know of my love. There are people who need a word of hope. There are people who need a word of encouragement. There are people who need to, to, to find community. I've sent you here to actually be on mission. To bring healing. And I want to tell you, I'm glad you might like your job and all that, but God didn't send you to, send you to your job for a paycheck. God sent you there to send you on mission. God didn't send you to the school simply to get an education. God sent you there to be on mission. God did not send you to that particular neighborhood just to enjoy all that it has and that there's a Starbucks on the corner and a train half a block from your apartment. God sent you there. Pretty nice. God sent you there because he sent you on mission. Wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. And God is inviting us to live in the same way that we are called to get something done in this city. 
that we are called to pray and to live your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we are called to work for justice we are called to show acts of compassion we are called to proclaim the gospel we are called to bear witness to Jesus Christ we have a mission and God has sent us into the world amen and all of this brothers and sisters is sustained by this last value this last value, this value called emotional health. And by emotional health, that means that Jesus wants to transform every aspect of our lives, especially our inner lives. There's a guy, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Pete Scazzaro, a guy named Pete Scazzaro, and some of you have heard of him. For those of you who are really new, he's the guy who actually started our church in 1987. And, 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 and Pastor Pete has a phrase that has reverberated around the world. And the phrase goes simply like this, emotional health or emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That is, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Which is to say, you can memorize all of the Bible, but if you don't know how to navigate your fear, your anxiety, your grief, no matter how much Bible you have in your head, it's not an indication of your spiritual maturity, but immaturity. You can go to church, multiple services. You can go to multiple churches and, 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 and be there and volunteer. But if you don't know how to navigate conflict and negotiate our differences, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity, but our spiritual immaturity. And so when we talk about emotional health, this is the kind of community that we want to work for. And go to that next slide for me. We want to affirm that emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable. As a community, we want to equip others to understand the role that our family of origin plays in our personal and relational development. At New Life, we say, yes, Jesus lives in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. There's some things that are in us that have deep uh, rooted in us from our family of origin that God wants us to pay attention to, that we want to train our community to love well, that we want to disciple others to embrace brokenness and weakness as necessary for our spiritual growth. And I just need to say something about that last part, about brokenness and weakness. What makes our church our church is that it is filled with broken, weak people. And I just need to say, if you're perfect, if you're perfect, you're going to mess up our church. You're going to mess up our church. Our church exists for the broken. Our church exists for the weak. Our church exists for sinners. Our church exists for people who are in need of grace. And if you're not broken, and if you're not weak, and if you're not a sinner, you're going to mess up our church. And as a matter of fact, you won't last here long. Because this church is for broken people, weak people, wounded people, sinners in need of the grace of God. Amen. 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 And the, the journey of emotional health is one of looking within for the sake of transformation. And this is not a one-time thing. This is a lifetime thing. There's a story I want you to see of one of our new lifers, a video. A new lifer that many of you know, Andres Valenzuela, who's, who leads our school of formation. And Andres in this video talks about the ways 
that he's had to go deeper and deeper into his own emotional life, that going, looking within once is just not sufficient, that we need a lifetime of interior examination for the sake of wholeness. And I want you to check out this video because I think it speaks to all of us as we are on our journeys trying to follow Christ faithfully in this world. Check out this video. I started taking stock of my life. What have I done? What have I accomplished? Where was my life at? I had this uh, growing photography business, had just gotten a master's degree, and some money, I had just bought a home. I was like, wow, things are going really well. But internally, I was a mess. That prompting uh, allowed me to see that I didn't want to continue this way. I had to somehow get um, free from this, but I had no idea how. And so I approached a really good, trusted friend. I unloaded my whole life, this whole situation that I was in. I, had, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out of it. And uh, my friend gave me this CD uh, about emotional health. As I listened to that CD, it felt like that pastor was talking straight at me. And that began this journey of understanding my, my interior life and, and, and bringing Jesus into that. So that was the beginning of my awareness of emotional health. There was about 12 years where I, I felt like I made significant progress in this area. During that time is when I was connected to New Life and a lot of the uh, practices, a lot of the, the sermons, the workshops that were happening at New Life were uh, significantly speaking to me. It was going well and then a significant thing happened to me where three years ago I lost my job. It was a sudden uh, loss and it was something that I wasn't expecting. It launched me into an existential crisis as I, as I call it because I, I didn't know what to do. It took me a while to really uh, feel the emotion of, of what had happened. I felt the Lord's grace carry me through that period, but it wasn't long before I was left uh, in some ways alone and you know, girls went to school, my wife went to work, and now I'm here with no job and trying to figure out what's next for my life. This moment of crisis of losing my job and not knowing what to do really forced me to look inwardly. I had to, uh, I had to feel some of these emotions. I, I felt angry. I felt sad. I, I, I didn't have any hope for my future. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Uh, what is my life now? I recognized that I had to start practicing some of these, uh, these disciplines and these practices that I had been exposed to. And that began this process of me spending time alone with God. And now I, I run pretty much daily. I spent, I, I've mixed that with my time alone with God in silence and contemplative prayer. Some of these monastic rhythms were really, really helpful for me. And in those spaces is where I felt the Lord was leading me to um, explore deeper, to go deeper in my life. I started looking at my family of origin. Why am I responding this way? Why am I dealing with some of these things that I thought I had already taken care of, that I thought I understood? And my story, as in other stories, I imagine that there's multiple crisis moments. And I have found that each of those moments is an opportunity to go a little deeper. And so it's, it's not easy, and yet it is rewarding. And, and the reward for me is, is, is freedom. It's freedom to choose. It's freedom to, to live out. Uh, a life where I can love others, where I know I'm loved, I know I'm taken care of, and I can extend what I've received to others, to my wife, to my girls, to my neighbor, to my parents, to my family. Man, what I love, what I appreciate about 
Andres' story is this is not just a one-time thing. This is a lifetime thing. That emotional health, interior examination, is something that we must be doing daily as we want to be faithful to Jesus. And this requires a level of depth of opening ourselves up to the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to transform us deep down inside. Let's have the worship team come forward. Yesterday, uh, I got an image as to the kind of life that we often settle for and the kind of life that God has for us. Uh, Our daughter Karis was watering some plants yesterday, and after about uh, three to four minutes of watering the plants, she said, okay, I'm done. And, um, and, and Rosie said something that was really profound in the moment. Um, she basically said, our, our plants don't need to get wet. They need to be watered. And that there's a difference. It's one thing to get wet on the surface. The water needs to go down beneath the surface where true life and vitality actually lives. And that our lives emerge out of that place. And and here's the, the truth about many of our lives. We have settled for being wet as opposed to having a life that's actually being watered. Watered by God's love. Watered by the truth of Scripture. Watered by a life of prayer with Jesus. And what God wants for our church family is not simply to get wet. God wants to pour in his resources to the deepest parts of the soil of our souls that we would bear much fruit for the glory of his name and for the wholeness and healing of this world. And so this Vision Sunday is a reminder, this is who we're called to be. This is what we want to wrestle with together, that we would be the people who Jesus has called us to be in this part of the world for the glory of his name. Let's all stand together. I imagine in a room this size, those of you watching online, there's certain areas in your life that are in disrepair. And you need the God of restoration to touch. There's some things that are broken that you need God to rebuild. There's some things that seem hopeless that you need faith and hope to hold on to. There's a God who's with us. And so one of our responses as the people of God is to sing, to sing. Because when we sing, we proclaim truth. When we sing, we lift our voices and, and, and enter communion with God and invite God to enter into those spaces where we need God to do something significant, transformative, restorative. And so let's sing together as the people of God, crying out to the God who's with us, the God who can rebuild, restore, and resurrect our lives. Lord Jesus, we sing to you now these words of praise, for you are with us, and you long to restore and renew us. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you never 
promise still stands. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. Never fail me. Never fail me. I imagine in a room like this here, lots of disrepair is among us, in us, and we need the God of resurrection to move on our behalf. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward, and uh, our prayer team today is going to be in the uh, upper stage room, and so if you'd like to receive prayer, you can walk up, go through that door, and just walk up a quick flight of stairs. Uh, because we have a, a volunteer a kickoff event happening at one o'clock here. Uh, and so if you're a volunteer in any capacity at New Life, uh, this is a time just to celebrate uh, and to connect with one another for about just an hour. And so if you'd like to receive prayer, you can walk up, go through that door. And we all at some point or another in our lives need to come to a place where we open ourselves up to the God who can rebuild and restore. 
Some of you came into church today, you look around, all you see is damage. All you see are things that once were life-giving and, and alive. And all you see is damage now. And you wonder, God, where are you? Are you with me? And in prayer, we remind ourselves that God is with you, that you are not alone, that the resources of the Holy Spirit are yours in Christ Jesus. And so for whatever need you have, we'd love to pray for you. Some of you came into our building today, some of you watching online, and you look at your life and you think, there's been so much disrepair and damage my entire life. Woundedness and trauma, like our our sister Shreya mentioned in her own story. And maybe you've never taken a moment to invite Jesus into your own woundedness, your own brokenness, your own weakness. And we want to help you take a next step of faith. Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. And we want to just help you just to take one simple step. And it can happen in one or two ways. You can very simply text a phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to have a conversation with you to help you take your next step as it relates to your... I'm not ready to become a Christian yet, no. But maybe we can help you take the next step as you're discerning what it might look like to follow Jesus. You can also talk to one of our prayer team members uh, right in the upper stage room. We'd love to serve you in any way that we can. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We don't have any sermon discussion time uh, this Sunday for those of you watching online, but I just want to offer a word of blessing. If you're new to our church, we close every gathering in this posture of receiving and we end with blessing why well because the world is filled with so much cursing so much vitriol so much hostility and it's very easy to live in the world where we're receiving all that and that's what we offer to others but we want to be a people that are marked by receiving blessing and offering blessing to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, placing your trust in the one who knows how to rebuild, who knows how to revive, who knows how to resurrect. And may you offer words of blessing and a life of blessing to those around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.